Hello and welcome back to the podcast of TechEU. I am your host, Andre Degler. In today's episode, I would like to share with you a conversation that I recorded with Uwe Horstmann, the general partner at Project A Ventures. So if we can just start uh, then from the beginning, from uh, you uh, introducing yourself and telling a bit more about what is it that you're doing. Sure. Thanks very much for having me. First of all, I'm, I'm Uwe. I am based here in Germany, Berlin, Germany, and I'm one of the founders of Project A Ventures, which is a venture capital firm active all over Europe, over 600 million euros that we manage at the moment. So we focus on seed and Series A startups, um, and that's who I am, and that's what I do. Right. This is great. So it's your personal background. Can you talk a tiny bit more uh, about what you did before, actually, sure. uh, co-founding Project A? So I'm lucky enough to have been doing this now for 10 years. So Project A, we started in 2011. So quite quite a long time and quite interesting also to see how the European ecosystem has uh, developed in that time. I'm saying European because not only the Berlin ecosystem, but like uh, all aspects of the continent, I think, have witnessed a, a, a great development when it comes to startups. So first of all, 10 long years in, in that field. Um, but then before that, I was one of the managing directors of Rocket Internet. Back then, Rocket Internet, to be honest and uh, uh, yeah, also be fair, was of course much smaller, especially in the beginning. Yeah, spent a few great years there, which of course were very, very formative, both for me and very important also for the Berlin ecosystem. And then we decided to do something new, which was starting an own venture capital fund, which of course at that time we had no real idea about what that means. Uh, how that works, what is important, but I'm uh, very thankful that we did it. And now 10 years later, we can we can look back, I think, on an, on an interesting uh, path so far that, of course, as I mentioned, is closely intertwined with a fantastic growth in the European ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I was looking at your LinkedIn, and uh, this is uh, the, the job at Rocket Internet as the first one listed there. So did you actually join them straight out of college? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Um, it was a very small group back there, back then. Um, and uh, yeah, nobody had, I think, a clear view in mind that, oh, in <laughs> X years, we're going to have this big IPO and everything's going to be massive. I think it's fair to say that, you know, it was very exploratory, as all great entrepreneurial journeys probably are. Um, so I was just very lucky and happy to be in the right moment uh, at, the, at the right time and uh, was able to kind of benefit from that also hopefully we did we did a good job also but definitely i definitely am very thankful for that uh, opportunity to learn uh, at a really young age uh, and get exposed to a lot of responsibility also at a, at, a, at a young age that is of course something that is great about our industry in general um but back then specifically um yeah that was fantastic are you still in contact with uh, Rocket Internet uh, management uh, people you worked with back then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here and there, for sure. I mean, the the network itself is is pretty strong. So um, definitely, um, also to the company itself from time to time, but mostly with people who also shared uh, a joint who share a joint history with Rocket right. or uh, at Rocket. Um, for sure, yeah, that network is pretty strong. <laughs> what do you think of what the company has become in these ten years? Very good question. I mean, I'm, I'm still looking at it quite from an interesting perspective, like as a very interested observer, because I'm trying to understand, you know, how is that public markets model of stocks compatible with um, what we do here as as venture capitalists, right? I mean, mm. how does that bridge look like? <clears throat> how does um, the public look at those businesses that in the beginning don't make money, they burn a lot of money, 
they uh, can become successful and they can become market defining. So you know, I'm 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 grateful for the for the courage that that people are taking to put those companies also in the stock market. We'll have to see, I think, how exactly they are treated on the on the public market, uh, how compatible those two models are. So that's kind of like how how I see it. Um, it's definitely still super important and played a big role, um, just alone from a talent pool perspective, right? Because back mm-hmm. then, let's say you know 2008 to 2010, if you wanted to get into the startup ecosystem, how did you even do that? Because it it was not as obvious as it is now that you can just start your own company. Um, you probably needed yeah. some expert advice and so on. And and that role for a lot of people was taken over by Rocket. And now probably it's it's taken over by, by more accelerators or by angels or just by reading blogs or listening to podcasts and so on. Now <laughs> that information flows freely. But back then, um, I think it needed a catalyst uh, that can absorb people and help them build their careers. And then that's how I at least see Rocket. And um, that's what they were what that a company was really, really good at. Uh, and now I think the role is probably different because that specific aspect is not needed to that degree anymore, right? As, as I mentioned, if you want to, if you're fresh out of school and you want to start your startup, you can just do it. You don't need anyone else anymore. Um, and that, of course, also has changed a bit of the role that a company like Rocket would have to play in such an ecosystem. Yeah. Well, it certainly was a catalyst for you. Uh, I don't sure. think it, I don't think it happens a lot uh, now that uh, uh, someone who is joining a company straight out of college after three years just co-founds uh, a uh, a venture capital uh, uh, firm that uh, that uh, becomes pretty successful in in its early years. Even so, I don't think it happens a lot right now. Yeah, yeah. I, it, for me personally, I mean, it, it was a bit of a perfect storm. Things happened. Things came together, and um, then we had investors who really early on gave us a, you know, a a, a big chunk of trust, obviously, by uh, going onto the journey with us um, because we were first timers, emerging managers, as they call them. And among our group, I was by far, obviously, the, the youngest and, and least experienced. So I'm very thankful for our investors, but also for my partners that they said, okay, now let's take this young kid alongside <laughs> us and hopefully he can carry his weight, of course. Right. So, and it is a good uh, a good segue into uh, talking about uh, the uh, firm itself. So, what is uh, Project A? What's your thesis like? What's your ticket size? What are you looking for? Give me the pitch. Yeah, the, the short pitch is that uh, we're pan-European. So, we have an office in London, one in Berlin, and presence uh, through you know our people all over the continent because we think great companies can can start to exist everywhere. Um, we, we are very thesis-driven, so we have an investment team of uh, around 10 people, all of them with their very specific, very concrete, both industry expertise, but also with thesis about those specific industries. So very conviction-driven, um, very much based on our own interest in certain segments that are um, emerging in the market. Uh, we invest somewhere between 500k and 10 million euros, I would say, over multiple rounds in a company like Trade Republic, we can then uh, also invest like 30, 40 million. Um, so we can definitely move a lot of money for successful companies who can grow even faster with that with that money. What's special about us is that we have a 100 people operational team on staff. To my knowledge, that's not something that anybody else has, at least in Europe. So 100 people working for a venture capital firm. Those are all operators. So we're talking marketing, acquisition, retention. We're talking 
product, technology, we're talking sales, business development, but also recruiting, organization building, all kinds of aspects of uh, what you need when you, when you build a business. And those people are available to you if you want them. It's not a must. It's not, we are not forcing them upon you. We don't take sweat equity, nothing. They're purely available to you if you want them. If you want them now, if you want them later, if you wanted to have just a few experts, if you want to have a broad bench because your scaling is just not controllable without some support, that's totally up to you. But if we invest, you get everything that you get out of a normal venture capital firm, as well as the optionality. If you ever want and need it, you can draw from our resources. Um, because we, b- back when we started, the world wasn't just waiting for another bunch of dudes who start spreading checks. You know, it was true back then, it's true now. So you have to think about how do you differentiate yourself? And we're operators, we're entrepreneurs ourselves. So we wanted to align our interests as much as we can with our with our founders. And we did that by trying to create operational value add. That's the idea. That's what we're trying to do. That's why we have those 100 people. Mm-hmm. This sounds a tiny little bit Rocket Internet-esque uh, to me, uh, having this sort of back office uh, that can be shared by startups that you invest in. Uh, is, this, is this on purpose? Is this something that you learned uh, would make sense? I mean, we, we at Rocket, we definitely saw the power that you can have by combining great entrepreneurial talent with a good workbench that they can also build upon. But that's also where the similarities end. So for us, we only invest in companies that are standalone, that are successful, that are great. And then we offer them the optionality on top if they want to. We never would like to take over control of a company. Companies always, of course, have to build their own culture, have to build up their own teams and so on. We can help, but we will only help basically, uh, obviously, as much as we need it, but then as little as possible, right? Because we don't want to create companies that are somehow dependent on us. And the really good entrepreneurs, they wouldn't be interested in that. Entrepreneurs are interested in getting specific support here and there on specific challenges, and then they build up their own stuff. And that's totally what we want to do. And that was, of course, different from what we did at Rocket um, almost a decade ago. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Absolutely. So uh, uh, in the uh, conversation that uh, preceded uh, this uh, interview, one of the things that uh, we discussed is the ecosystem in Germany, and I will just uh, quote uh, what was written in uh, in this interview pitch. Uh, the risk of the VC ecosystem in Europe and how and why it is now ready to explode. The only missing ingredients is that German bureaucrats need to make share option planning easier for high growth startups. So, what do you what do you mean by the fact that it's ready to explode? And uh, then from there we can uh, unpack the rest. So I think exploding an explosion in a good way, a good explosion, a Cambrian explosion, if you will, I think we are, we're about to see, or we are already seeing that all over Europe. And I think it's just a result of some really, really good developments that are kind of combining, that are being combined with each other. So it's a positive cycle of more talent, more capital, more good companies, more exits, more investors, and they all kind of push each other. And we've been seeing that Now, for the past years, we are seeing that entrepreneurs from more diverse backgrounds, hopefully more and more, because it's still a big problem, are tackling challenges from more and more complicated uh, fields of business, if you will, as well. Not only more e-commerce, more e-commerce, more e-commerce, but people are really getting into healthcare and industrial production and the future of work. So that is great. Um, That is happening in Germany. That is happening all over Europe. And that self-reinforcing effect is only getting faster. Um, at the same time, European companies can now 
much easier to tackle international markets as well. There's no reason anymore why a European software company shouldn't become a market leader in the US also. So that, of course, adds a whole another aspect um, to that whole startup journey and that, that can make them much more successful. Yeah, full stop. I, I think that's, that's the answer to the question about, you know, why is the explosion now? I think it's a, it's a continuation and a culmination of, of a lot of positive trends and it will only continue that way. Now, valuations, you know, the way how we price startups, of course, they're very high. Um, that being said, I think maybe we'll see some correction, but the fundamental general trend, I think, is correct. Uh, because startups can become more successful, they can become larger also at an exit. So I think it's okay if they also get more, quote unquote, expensive for investors when we invest. Um, and now you wanted to ask specifically about that, that stock option issue in Germany? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay go ahead. I mean, one of, one, of the, one of the beautiful things about startups is that they are inherently more democratic than a lot of old established companies. Um, I think you know it's best practice that startups really share ownership among employees even wider than they used to do. It's not something that is that has a big tradition in Germany so far, but I'm hoping that it changes. But it also means, of course, that we are careful around how we treat those stock options, so those those elements of ownership in those companies for employees. And one risk that we see from time to time is that there will be tax on dry income, for example, in, in Germany, right? So that could be that could be problematic. Um, now there's another question on how should they be taxed? Should they be taxed as capital income and should they be taxed or should they be taxed as um, as a salary? Hopefully the listeners haven't fallen asleep by now, but uh, that, is a, that, is, that is a different discussion. I think the big problem is, you know, should they be taxed before there's actual money flowing? And that should not be the case. Um, we can have a discussion about whether they're no, income or whether they're capital dividends. That's a different question. But dry income, so you have to pay tax on something that is theoretically worth something, but you haven't seen any money yet. That would be a problem because that could be a factor that kind of slows down that positive effect, that positive self-reinforcing growth of the ecosystem because you're taking out one important aspect which is that capital not only flows back to large investors but also to very small investors and those people can turn into business angels and that is what drives progress of the ecosystem because business angels can become experts for new industries they can become experts for um, underrepresented groups of entrepreneurs and so on so i think we need those business angels and we need to make sure that the leading contributors in companies also are able to benefit from the economic growth that is being created because we know that they're channeling it back into the ecosystem and that way the pie gets larger for everyone now yeah that 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 is true and just to finish off with this question when you talk about explosion how do you actually envision it do you envision it as more startups uh, uh, being launched or more funding being raised or more exits uh, uh, being uh, well publicized announced i think all of that so i think all of the combination um because that that just defines the attractiveness of an ecosystem and then i think the core is that we see more good talent also tackling new tough challenges. Yes, capital is important. Yes, exits are important. But the best thing that we can that can happen, of course, is new smart minds saying, I want to do something entrepreneurial. And either if I'm a founder or a contributor, it doesn't even matter that much in the beginning, but I want to get into that ecosystem. As opposed to taking the easy route in a large established company, I want to do something entrepreneurial. That's That's the core, I think, that's driving all of this. 
Right, right, I understand. Okay, so uh, usually it's a, it's a popular question, I think, uh, when talking to uh, uh, VCs, but I still wanted to ask, uh, what about your portfolio and anti-portfolio? So like the best investment decisions, the worst investment decisions over the 10 years? We're fortunate to have had like a, a couple of real big successes in the portfolio that are already very prominent. Trade Republic is one, which just an announced this, this massive round we are investors in Cru, in Sender, in Casavo, in Spryker Systems. So a bunch of really big, successful companies. Um, and, you know, that is, when I'm always asked this question about your portfolio, anti-portfolio, I always want to make sure that I avoid the impression of I'm this investor, I'm laid back in my armchair and... There is a company coming by, you know, the future, let's say sender or somebody, and we are just like a Roman imperator saying, hey, you guys are pretty smart, here's some money. And then that is my investment decision. The reality is very different. We need to beg those people to take our money, right? So we need to be thankful that we are allowed to call them members of our portfolio. It's not the other way around. Like if you watch too much Shark Tank or Hürde der Löwen or however you want to call it, a different impression might arise that. You know, the, the startups come begging and then we are so nice to them by giving them money. That's not the case. We need to really work hard to convince them to take our money. Um, and when I talk about portfolio and anti-portfolio, it's important for me that people understand this. Um, so those are companies where we are very lucky to have, and fortunate, lucky is maybe a bad word because it implies a lot of luck, but let's say where the situation was so great that we came to the conviction that this is a great business to invest in, and also we had the, we got the chance to invest. So those two those two things need to come together to to build a portfolio. Now, an anti portfolio, there is companies that we passed on, and they went on to become really really successful. You know, we, we can talk about a few examples, but again, also the same here applies. Not only because we said, hey, let's not invest. It doesn't mean we would have been able to invest if we had decided differently, right? So it's it's a long way from us saying, hey, we want to invest all the way to, yes, we actually get uh, the investment done. Um, and TaxFix, for example, is such a uh, example, a fantastic company that we wanted to, um, uh, look that we looked at, you know, really closely. Ultimately, we didn't do it. And, you know, I'm, I, I wish those guys obviously the best of luck and they have proven us wrong already. Um, not to say that we would have been able to invest again, but um, they are doing a fantastic job and we've loved, of course, to, to, to put some money in now in hindsight. <laughs> or another example is Sorare, uh, where we really mm -hmm. tried to, uh, <laughs> uh, try to get that deal done. Unfortunately, you know, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't get there. But uh, yeah, in hindsight, of course, that would have been fantastic. And also, you know, a, a great team, awesome set of investors, such a great success story so far for everyone involved. So we are very happy that this works out. Obviously, we would be a bit happier if we would be part of it. But uh, that's the way that that game goes sometimes. Generally yeah. speaking, does the whole uh, crypto industry and NFTs does it fit into your thesis? Uh, we are so we haven't traditionally done a lot there, to be honest. Um, we are looking at it always a bit from the outside, and we are regularly checking basically if we should get more involved. Um, and it seems like there's a new wave happening, and we are at the moment evaluating how should we get involved. So. You know, if people listen to this and they really think we should, we'd be very interested in having that discussion, even though we haven't done a lot in the past just yet. It is something that is obviously high on our agenda that we want to reevaluate on an ongoing basis. And right now is one of those re evaluation points. 
I'm still very skeptical, but then I'm yeah. not a VC, so <laughs> maybe <laughs> I mean, that's why. Lots to like, lots to dislike, right? So um, definitely is about is about the right model. I mean, the, the new fancy coin, you know, two years ago, that probably wouldn't have been our right business. When it comes to enabling infrastructure, probably a bit more so. So let's see. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so you mentioned already that uh, you have... Uh, uh, quite a few people uh, working uh, for Project A, uh, that like much more people than you would normally expect uh, from a, a VC firm of your size, and most of them operators available for your startups if they want them. So, but how does it actually feel and how it works when you scale a VC firm pretty much the same way as you would scale a startup? So, um, uh, how was it for you? I mean, it's it's very interesting, right? Because I, th I think what you're saying, what you're stressing, is a really, really good point. I think you need to you need to start thinking about a VC firm like about any other company in that space, which means we are in a fierce competition for talent with everybody else. That's something that becomes clear, whether it's on the investing side or whether it's on the uh, operational side. The same holds true. So we are thankful that we have great leaders in those teams that are taking over, like a lot of the management and development and leadership roles, as the name says. Um, we are focusing a lot on internal feedback, on constant development of the organization. So we work with software that measures basically the satisfaction of that organization on a biweekly basis. And through that, we've been able to improve our net promoter score, our employee net promoter score from an mm -hmm. okay value to a fantastic value. It's not, it's, not, it's not me who does that. So I can't claim that you know this was Uber who did that, but... We have great people in the organization who work on that and they've been doing a fantastic job. And A, it, we do this because it makes it a better environment for ourselves to be in. It's just more fun to work in such an environment. But on the other hand, we also need to do that. We need to provide a great atmosphere, um, lots of degrees of freedom, but also like a clear path to leadership in that industry. Because that's something where I think the VC industry is not really good at. And that's also a problem, and that leads to a situation that more and more of the same people become VCs because I think we need to become better as an industry to show the inroads mm -hmm. into the industry and then also to make sure and make transparent, make it objective who makes progress in that industry. Because if I'm just hiring in my own network um, and then I'm just promoting the people who are like me, that just basically leads to a situation that more people like me will be in decision-making positions in the venture capital industry and that needs to be more diverse because that's the key factor to making to uh, to making sure that capital flows also to more diverse entrepreneurs so yeah. we, we we can't solve the one issue without solving the other and through that we can only achieve that i think by making it transparent how to get into the industry and make it transparent and predictable and planable how to make progress in that industry uh, and make it objective and that's what we're trying to do and that's kind of governs our thinking when it comes to building a vc firm as well and you already mentioned uh, these all these tools, all these uh, software tools that you're <clears throat> using. So on the side of the actual uh, investment business, what uh, what is it that uh, you're using? All the data analysis, tracking, uh, AI, decision-making sort of things. Uh, uh, what, uh, what have you seen over these years uh, and what have you uh, ended up using? Yeah, so we've seen, we've seen a lot of things. I mean, I guess we've all seen, you know, people are trying to build up massive machines and, and trying for detection and decision-making and so on. We're always experimenting with that, but um, and, and it leads to, like, it definitely the, it helped to increase the funnel, so it helped to screen more things, but then the process still remains very, quote-unquote, manual. 
um, and I think it will continue to do that. It will continue to be pretty like that, like that for 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 a longer period of time. We worked a lot, of course, on how we approach all those things mentally, how we think about investment decisions, how we communicate our thinking about startups, how we make this process interactive with with potential investment targets, <clears throat> how we share our research with them, how we get feedback from them on what we think about them, and so on. Um, so I think for us, it's been much more about process than about making that process automated. Um, I think I think that's going to take a while until we until we get there. For us, it's still such a human factor. It's about individuals. It's about chemistry and so on. So I wouldn't know how that can be fully automated. That doesn't mean that we we don't invest obviously in in making the process faster and smoother, especially also for the benefit of the portfolio of, of the founders because, you know. They almost always have better things to do than to talk to us, right? I mean, they should be building a business and not wasting the time with with VCs too much. So we obviously thrive for process optimization, and we do that. And there are great tools out there. You know, um, uh, probably everybody uses some kind of CRM system, whether it's a ticketing system or a Salesforce version or Affinity or whatever you want to use. I think that's best practice by now that you're they're kind of up to speed with. Uh, with that and, and and get the process get the trains run on time but yeah the the real innovation for us i think happens on how do we think about companies how can we structure our thinking how can we come up with a reasonable way to quote unquote try to predict the future in a future that's unpredictable you know how, how do we approach that i think that's um that's more about it because we don't want to focus on business only where i have to analyze current numbers we want to focus on businesses where we define like a joint view of the future together with the team. Um, and it's probably going to come in a very different way. It's probably, you know, the likelihood of this future becoming reality is zero, but I think you learn a lot in the process together and that can't be done by a computer. All right. That makes sense. And uh, uh, do you think how many, how many companies uh, do you analyze uh, every, I don't know, week, month? Uh, so it's roughly ten thousand per year. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, so roughly, you know, very simply speaking, a thousand per month. Uh, that, how many of the, them? Hmm? How many of them do you see? What do you think? Me personally, uh-huh. um, I would say probably twenty or so a month. So I would say it's in, in the hundreds still per year. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, that's still quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, it's still quite a bit, but it's. Like it, it, I think if the number would drop lower, I would not find job satisfaction um, <laughs> because that's the, that is the best part uh, of it all. Obviously, you know, time gets absorbed by working with the existing portfolio companies, but it's yeah. still the best part. It's still the best part is, you know, interacting with the with the founders and then okay, thanks. Those I understand the slides now, but let's let's just talk about how do you see this happening? How do you see this materializing? What do you need? What keeps you up? What is the biggest success? What do you focus on the next twelve months? I mean, it's those discussions that are much more interesting than any any cohort analysis. Even though we, of course, have to do those as well. And what have you seen over over all these uh, ten years in terms of uh, geography? So has it become more diverse uh, where your founders uh, come from? And do you see any particular maybe uh, markets, particular uh, countries uh, uh, being more and more on your radar? Yeah, definitely. So. Um, so the, the first question is that we don't really care that much about geography anymore. Now, mm-hmm. of course, Corona has also helped but with everything being <laughs> remote. Um, but in all seriousness, there's no reason why a cool company shouldn't be able to start to exist, to be born or then grow in any kind of 
corner of of the continent so that's fantastic i think that also makes our job a little bit more complicated in terms of our radar being a bit more open not just too narrow on on certain countries um so yeah i think we 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 see amazing stuff now happening everywhere and being too focused on on countries is probably not 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 the right way to think about this sometimes you know and we need to think hard where's that company actually based that i'm about to speak to because um, it doesn't even matter much. Plus, we think like a lot, lot of companies also won't see themselves as rooted somewhere that deeply anymore going forward. They will be just as international, just as remote as we are operating. And that's, I think, where it becomes really, really interesting, how a remote distributed VC firm deals with a remote distributed um, startup. <laughs> that's, I think, where it, where it gets interesting. That's where the future also definitely is headed. Right. And to the second part of the question, so still, do you actually see any particular uh, geographies becoming more prominent in terms of where the companies are coming from? Um, I mean, so for us, for example, the Nordics always have been very important. And I think Mm -hmm. they'll just grow. The UK obviously is a market that always has been very strong and continues to be strong. Um, Eastern Eastern Europe for us is, is, is definitely like... It will always be that it's it continues to be high on the agenda just because tech talent and an overall proliferation of um you know the, the startup concepts now is 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 reaching every corner of europe especially also eastern europe so we're kind of looking everywhere there's there's not like a real you know secret tip that i have okay this is like this this very specific region that we see a lot of growth and i think it's going to be across the board uh, maybe some country is going faster at some point, but A, we don't even think about, you know, certain geograph- geographies that way, as, as I mentioned, and B, we think there's an overall lift up effect for, for pretty much everywhere. Um, as long as you don't take really dumb political decisions, I think you will benefit from that. If you take especially smart decisions, you will you will benefit over proportionally from that. Um, and I think that's kind of the task that, that countries are now dealing with. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so uh, to uh, to finish off, or at least get closer to finishing of this conversation, uh, one of the topics I've been uh, talking to uh, some of VC firms lately is what seems to be a growing importance and growing awareness of the importance of marketing and PR for VCs. Uh, do you do you see this happening? Do you see? Do you think that you are uh, like uh, you as a firm are more aware of uh, the necessity uh, to do PR activities to raise awareness of your brand among the founders, for example? I think so. I think so. I mean, because for better or for worse, and it's actually very much for better, um, the market is getting more competitive, right? In, uh, entrepreneurs have more choice about what to look for in an investor. So we need to make sure that we get our message across what we can offer and what kind of people we are, right? Because hopefully, um, whatever we do in that field is going to be based on what our core differentiator is. And hopefully it's actually so authentic that people get at least an indication what kind of people we are. That's what I would at least see as good PR based on those two factors. Um, and then it can actually be helpful for entrepreneurs to make a decision. Do I want to talk to those guys or not? Do I want to do business with them or not? Um, if PR is seen as I'm just covering over everything that actually is there, so it's not connected to my substance at all, then I don't think it's helpful. But I see it as making sure that we are able to present ourselves to entrepreneurs who are looking for funding in a somewhat representative way that gives them like a good first indication to at least 
spend some time to get to know us. I mean, that's kind of what we're that we're asking. That's kind of what we're, we're trying trying to do. I think pretty much every VC firm has to think about it that way. Also, um, if your brand is not so strong and and so much based on some U.S. Uh, successes that you you know you've had since the beginning of Silicon Valley, then maybe you don't. Uh, that's unfortunately not us. And, you know, we, we are a startup ourselves. We're 10 years old now, which is not that young anymore for a startup, but for a VC firm, we're still in the early days because it's a very, very long running game. And that's why we need to also position ourselves well in the market. And hopefully it will work out. Right, right. And uh, another question that I just thought of, uh, what's your, and you were discussing uh, at the beginning, uh, the whole uh, public uh, markets against private markets and things like that. Uh, what's what's your take on uh, VC firms uh, IPOing? Very good question. I mean, we haven't seen it that much in Europe just yet. It's not something that we have we have on the agenda. I'll be very curious to look at how successful it is for people. It can maybe ties a bit back to, to the to the first point uh, when we talked about Rocket and how the VC model is compatible with public markets, actually. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. What exactly are you investing in? Are you investing in a portfolio of existing companies or are you investing in a capability to find more of those companies in the future? Um, this, this, the latter probably is not that easy to communicate. And then we talk, back, yeah. talk again about well, communication. The, la the latter is more or less what you do when you do a SPAC, though. It's it, like okay, it's, it's a one-time sort of thing, but uh, and this is more correct. continuous, but correct. it's uh, it's sort of close. You are you are doing it with a SPAC, and then you have some people commit money to it, and then you still have a, like another decision point, right? So people can yeah. still look into hey, how successful do I actually believe in that specific asset? Right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And that's not always the case. If, if I'm just imagining an IPO of a venture capital firm in its pure sense. You don't have that second look, right? You are just committing now. Do I think this is the configuration, the constellation yeah. of finding future success? I think that's hard. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm very much looking forward to be convinced uh, <laughs> and surprised that this is actually a genius idea. Well, you see, we've got Draper Esprit in the UK. Uh, we've got uh, Sebastian Samirkovsky, uh, Klarna's uh, uh, founder, uh, listing uh, uh, his own. Uh, 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 venture enterprise uh, so it is so it is happening so i guess uh, i guess you could uh, you, you may want to you may want to think about it at some point <laughs> i will I, I will are you all in are you along those those stocks then i think so absolutely and uh, how big is your portfolio right now how many companies i would say probably something like 70 70 right yeah, I, th i think it's a it's a good time it's a, it's about it's a good time to and get out there. <laughs> yeah, I, I learned something today, so I'll, I'll, I'll take that with us for sure. Brilliant. Okay, Uwe, this uh, this is it for my questions, really. We are That's at 35 good. minutes. That's uh, where I want to keep it. Uh, thanks a lot for taking the time to join. Uh, thanks a lot uh, for uh, talking to me, telling everything, and uh, good luck. Good luck with uh, Project A. Good luck with the uh, future IPO and everything else that you're doing. Thanks so much, Andre. All the best. And this is it for our today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you like our show, follow us today wherever you listen to podcasts. And if that place has a possibility to rate and review the show, please do that as well. Our audio engineering is done by SoundPulse. That is sound-pulse.com. Your questions, suggestions, and opinions are very welcome. Please send them to podcast at tech.eu. This was TechEU Podcast. I am Andrew Daigler, and I will talk to you again very soon. For now, take care and enjoy the rest of your week. Bye-bye.